What, what's driving you? What's motivating you? Are you being motivated to be filled by the Spirit of God? Or are you allowing yourself to be fooled by the enemy? Are you pleasing God? Or are you living to please others? Or living for the pleasure of self? You can't do both. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Even this week, as I was looking through social media, that someone's disillusionment with the church. I never want to excuse anyone's own uh, sinful choices, but I would just tell you if we as a church look like what's described at the end of chapter 4, I believe greater grace would be among us. Caring for one another, meeting one another's needs. I just I don't think we do that well. But generous giving always results in greater grace, according to Scripture. Verse 34. There was a needy person, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement, a Levi, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, And he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Oh, don't you love Barnabas? No book in the Bible written by Barnabas. And yet, we wouldn't have most of the New Testament were it not for Barnabas. Why? He was an encourager and he was one who invested in others. Specifically, a a guy named Paul. Were it not for the acceptance and the approval and the investment encouragement of Barnabas into Paul we wouldn't have Paul as we know him as the greatest missionary apart from Jesus who's ever lived and we see him introduced in scripture right here he's introduced doing what encouraging and investing that's what Barnabas does but then we've got this man-made chapter break that's not in the original scripture, so just ignore chapter 5 there, and let's continue reading the story. Notice how it starts in verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira. See, you didn't understand that but when we just read chapter 5 verse 1 a while ago. Now you see it's setting up a comparison, a conflict, a contradiction. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds. Then he bought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? and Keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? After it was sold, was it not also at your disposal? Why is it you've contrived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to man, but to God. And these are the last words that Ananias would ever hear. So you have two examples. Barnabas, a faithful model. Ananias, and we'll see his wife Sapphira. Faithless messes. Barnabas, selfless and sacrificial. Ananias, selfish. 
What can we learn from these great pretenders? Here's the first thing. I think every one of us as we walk out of here today should be asking God, God, make me more discerning. Help me to see the potholes, the barriers, the things that could get in the way of me doing what I do. Most of you know our, our little daughter was born blind and and so as she walks, and she does a great job, an amazing job now, but as, as she walks, typically uh, she has either a cane or she has one of us by her side. And because she is not able to see physically, often we or that cane are preventing her from taking steps that would bring danger into her life. The Bible says that every one of us are born blind. We can't see spiritually. But when we begin that relationship with Christ, what happens? He opens our eyes. Thus the song, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. And so, ideally, the Christ follower is able to see, to discern those things that are unwise, that are unhelpful, that are unholy. But sometimes we fall into the trap of the enemy. We're driven by other things than the holiness of God. What's driving you? Our heart is a reservoir. Something's going to fill it. It's like the old Bob Dylan song. Everybody's got to serve somebody. What, what's driving you? What's motivating you? Are you being motivated to be filled by the Spirit of God? Or are you allowing yourself to be fooled? By the enemy? Are you pleasing God or are you living to please others or living for the pleasure of self? You can't do both. According to the scripture, if you please God, you may not please man. If you live to please man or live to please yourself, you will not live to please God. Are you living with discernment? In this case, what Peter was suggesting of Ananias was that he had not been discerning. We know that because he says, Why did you let Satan? influence you in this way and and thus we get this principle that in our lives if we're not discerning we can be influenced by the enemy it shouldn't be a surprise to you he's a deceiver that's what he does story by NBC News in Arlington Washington said a woman was accused of taking $73,000 from the Arlington church where she was an administrative assistant papers filed in the theft in Sohomish County in Superior Court said the 62-year-old Arlington woman told detectives Satan had a big part in the theft. It's like that old Flip Wilson song or that old Saturday Night Live skit. What made you do it? Satan made me do it. And in reality, when we're not discerning, that's a truth behind some of our sinful choices. We're influenced because of the tactics of the enemy. That's what he does. In the end, you're either filled by the Spirit of God and you're walking in the Spirit of God, or in your flesh, you're susceptible to the attacks of the enemy. And so what does the enemy want to do? The enemy wants to destroy the church. At the beginning of chapter 4, he tries to do that from without, persecution. At the beginning of chapter 5, he tries to do that from within, infection. Infection can be deadly. Just yesterday, many in a Christian community mourned the loss of a lady who went into the hospital just several weeks ago with an infection. It took her life. 
in the church, infection can be deadly. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that in Galatians, one little lump of leaven can cause the whole loaf to be off track. One sinner can cause us all to be off track. In this particular case, Peter was saying, though, to Ananias, while Satan has influenced you, you have to take responsibility for this. Look at verse 4 of chapter 5. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. It makes us ask the question, were these people, were these sinful individuals Christ followers? That's the easy thing we want to do when somebody messes up. We push them out of the box. We, we define the box with our legalism. If you do this and you don't do that, then you're a Christian. We make it about our do's and don'ts. And the box becomes very small. But as you look at scripture, you have to say, is that really the way it works? I like how John MacArthur addressed whether or not Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. First of all, he reminded us that they were included in the multitude of believers. So God counted them in his number. Secondly, they were involved with the Holy Spirit. Well, how do you begin to be involved with the Holy Spirit? How does a person get the Holy Spirit? We've learned that you begin a relationship with Christ. The Holy Spirit of God indwells you. So they had the Holy Spirit. If they were not Christians, what lesson could we learn from this? If they were not Christians, what were the big deal? Then it reminds us that Satan can become personally involved even with believers. He can impact your life. And then finally, it shows us that death can be a divine chastening in the life of a Christ follower. So what was the big deal? What did Ananias do? Did you see in Scripture where he was told he had to sell the land? Not there. Did you see after he sold the land where it was told he had to give the profit from the land to the church? It's not there. Did you see in scripture where it said if he sold the land and if he wanted to give some of the profits to the church, he had to give all the profits to the church? It's not there. According to Peter, what was taking place in this passage of Scripture is that this man, Ananias, was pretending to do something he had not done. He was looking at what Barnabas had done, and he wanted some of that same glory. This is not about robbing God of his money. This is about robbing God of his glory. There wasn't an obligation to give. He didn't have to sell. Once he sold, he did not have to give it. The Lord covets no man's money. He doesn't need your money, and he doesn't want that money that's not given freely, that's not given out of integrity or generosity. The issue was not what they were giving. The issue was what they were living, and they were living a lie. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? 
it would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. Oliver Wendell Holmes said, Sin has many tools, but a lie is the handle which fits them all. And Jesus described it this way in talking of lies. You are the father, you're the devil. Your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks of his own character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. When we lie, we thumb our nose at the holiness of God. So I would just ask you, is is there any area in your life where you're pretending to be something you're not? You've fallen into that trap of the enemy. You've not been discerning about his deceitful and lying tactics. Ask God to make us more discerning. But then I would say, ask God to make us more disciplined. I think we all could use a little more discipline. I look at people that are disciplined, and you know what I often find out? They didn't get disciplined at what they are doing because they loved doing it in the beginning. They just began to do something regularly, and then they became disciplined. What do you need to do so that you might love what you want to do? See, when we begin a relationship with Christ, Jesus changes our want to, right? We want, most people I meet want to do better. They just don't do better. What do you need to ask God to help you discipline so that you will do those things you want to do? Look at verse 5. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. And in an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. I read that, and I I think about How we look at the things of holiness. I don't see a great fear. Among Christ followers today. And I want you to understand. I don't think this is like. God I'm afraid you're going to strike me down. But I don't see a sense. That we serve a holy God. That desires and demands. That our life looks different. That we live in awe and in reverence of Him. That we recognize the consequences of our failure to be holy. Why is this so important? It's so important because God's power flows through clean vessels. When we live in disobedience, we choke the channel of God's blessing. 
And that's what was taking place. That's why God had to deal with this. Remember the end of chapter 2? The Lord was adding to the church daily. The end of chapter 3, the Lord was still adding to the church daily. The end of chapter 4, God was beginning to multiply His church. And then you have this. Sin dampens the power and the activity of God. Does anybody else read of Christ's followers in the church in the New Testament and not wonder, God, why do we not see this? Could it be that in our personal lives and in our churches, we've allowed sin to choke out that channel of blessing that God desires to send? Could it be that we don't see the power of God as described in Scripture because we've not taken seriously the discipline in the pursuit of holiness. Mention that passage from Galatians 5. Listen to this in the New Living Trans or in the, in the Living Bible. It only takes one wrong person among you to infect all others. 1 Corinthians 5, 6. Don't you realize that even one person, if they're allowed to go on sinning, soon all will be affected. Think about this story, and I wonder. What in the world would I have done if I'd have seen this take place? I mean, the assumption is, at least the part with Ananias probably took place in the public gathering. So in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to end this part of the service and we'll move to a celebration of giving. That's what we call the offering time. The plates will be passed. Imagine what would take place if you watched as someone put something in the offering plate and then all of a sudden, boom, they were just gone. What would you do? And so the Bible says that a fear, a reverence began to come over the people. And this great fear would lead to greater faithfulness. Hebrews 10.31 says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Well, I, I want to be, be more disciplined in my life because I want to honor God in holiness. Last thing I would challenge you is ask God to make you more determined. As Paul Harvey would say, there's more to the story. This is the rest of the story. Listen to verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. And none of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. You see, when the people of God addressed the lack of holiness, the pretending, the hypocrisy, the sin in the camp, the power of God was restored. Let's address this both personally and corporately. Probably the most common thing I hear as I talk with Christ followers is just a failure to feel and experience the power of God through their life. I want to know that my faith is making a difference. I would just suggest to you the first thing we should always do is take a quick sin inventory. Is there any area of my life where I'm not living in obedience to what God has commanded. 
because my disobedience can choke the channel of God's blessing in my life. But I have to tell you as a pastor, this is convicting. Because I have to look at it not only personally in my life, which is convicting. But I have to look at it as a church. We're not good at confronting sinful behaviors. We're not good at disciplining one another. We're not good at going to each other and saying, Hey, this pretending in your life is, is impacting the body. It's keeping God's power from flowing in our community. I want to ask you today to join me in being determined to not be content with that. But to live our lives in such a way that we do whatever it takes to see God's power at work in our life, through His church, and in this community. Say whatever it takes. That's what I want. Because when God's power is at work in and through us, it casts a holy shadow on our little corner of the world. And other people begin to notice. And the church flourishes. That's why we have stories like these. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 puts it this way. Now these things happen to them as an example. But they're written down for our instruction. We have this story so that we understand we don't have to go this way. Have you experienced that in your life? Or are you the great pretender? I think it's Freddie Mercury that wrote these words. It's the first Sunday of June. It's officially beach season. Maybe we need a little beach music reminder. Have you heard these? Oh yes, I'm the great pretender. Adrift in a world of my own. I play the game. But to my real shame. You've left me to dream all alone. Oh, friend, don't be content to be the great pretender. It doesn't have to end that way, by the way. So this week in Honduras, after one of the sessions, a pastor came up to me, an older man. Hondurans typically, in my seven, eight years going there, not extremely expressive, not overly talkative. This man came up and he had to talk to me. He was in tears. And his tears choked back his words as he said, Pastor Paul, I need you to know this time may have saved my life, my marriage, and my ministry. He said, this year's been difficult. I've had some physical illness, but things have not been good at home either. And my wife and, and even my children have brought into my attention some things in my life that were not honoring to, to God, but I, I wasn't listening as I've needed to, but God has awakened my eyes to these things that need to be changed. And he said, now I can walk away differently. That can be you too. So let me challenge you with these final words from Scripture. If you don't know if this applies to you, just pray this prayer from Psalms 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me 
the way everlasting. When you pray that prayer, I promise God will answer for your good and for His glory. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.